Welcome to The Working Ants with me, your host and coach, Rami Balut. I'm going to share with you secrets and strategies you only wish you knew years ago to accelerate your career today. This is practical stuff, no fluff. My mission is to create a new generation of leaders that brings out the best in people. This is where passions and profession yield profitability. Welcome to The Working Ants. All right, let's go ahead and do this. But first, I'm in true fashion. Let us start out with a quote. What's left to be prized? This, I think, to limit our action or inaction to only what's in keeping with the needs of our own preparation. It's what the exertions of education and teaching are all about. Here is the thing to be prized. If you hold this firmly, you'll stop trying to get yourself all the other things. If you don't, you won't be free, self-sufficient, or liberated from passion, but necessarily full of envy, jealousy, and suspicion for any who have the power to take them, and you'll plot against those who do have what you prize. But by having some self-respect for your own mind and prizing it, you will please yourself and be in better harmony with your fellow human beings and more in tune with the gods, praising everything they have set in order and allotted you. And this is a, a quote by none other than Marcus Aurelius, taken from the Daily Stoic on January the 25th. And really what this says here, um, as it continues on, says really, in summary, the more things we desire and the more we have to do to earn or attain those achievements, the less we actually enjoy our lives and the less free we are. So no matter what it is that we are pursuing, no matter how it is we are planning on applying our passions, remember to live a little in the moment to understand where you are now, and perhaps all the accumulation of things that have brought you up to this point in time. It's extremely important to remember that because as we struggle and as we push ourselves for a new way of life for ourselves, perhaps up-leveling the quality of life we'd like to build for ourselves and our family, or coming to the conclusion that we can be doing so much more with ourselves because we are so underutilized and yet continue to be overworked, well, at the very, very least, take a step back, pause, and understand that in this moment, this particular moment, this is the culmination of everything that has accumulated and everything that you needed to be where you are today. I'm a firm, firm believer in that. It's kind of like, you know, we are where we were meant to be, right? We are we are at a place where we are absolutely meant to be in the juncture of this part of our lives. Um, and here we are together, you and I discussing uh, just that. And today, I have a very, very interesting uh, topic of conversation today. I think it's going to be extremely useful in line with the fact that, you know, hiring at least during these lockdown COVID times is starting to open up just a little bit. I'm noticing more and more of my one-on-one -on -one clients, you know, scheduling one-on-one -on -one interviews, having their interviews sort of progress instead of frozen as they were in the past. I want to make sure that I align our conversation today specifically around the interview. But more so than just that, 
aligning it in a way where you can totally understand that in any conversation you are about to have, um, whether that be with your boss, uh, whether that be with someone you manage, or whether that be with anybody you're going to be having in your personal life, there is one really, really great sort of theory here that psychologists talk about all the time. And it actually applies in almost every single interview and conversation you may have and accumulates over time and, and how it is other people feel about you as it relates to your personal branding and your positioning. And this is something that is called the peak end rule. If you haven't heard of the peak end rule, I strongly encourage you to do some of your research, post our time with one another today. There's plenty of videos, plenty of documentation um, on what the peak end rule is. Of course, with yours truly, I'm going to continue to relate it to our career transition because this is what we're here actually for. Uh, but the peak end rule, and this is just a brief definition from Wikipedia, is it's a psychological heuristic in which people judge an experience largely based on how they felt at its peak and at its end, rather than based on the total sum or average of every moment of the experience. The effect occurs regardless of whether the experience is pleasant or unpleasant. So imagine this, no matter what it is that you do, no matter how it is that you perform, it's typically towards the peak end, or at least the peak part of whatever it was that you were doing, that is taken as the most resonating point of feedback in that conversation. So as you'll see in just a moment, um, you could have a wonderful starting of your interview and your conversation, but unless you are actually clearly consistent from inception to the end, right, you are then forced to be in a position where people will take the tail end of the conversation or the peak of the conversation and base the entire conversation on that point, on that data point. And what that actually does is it gets you in a world of trouble if you are trying to make a consistent perception throughout. So I'm going to read a passage from one of my favorite books, and I have mentioned this, I think, a few times over the last year or so. This is a book called The Power of Bad, one of my favorite books that I have been reading, you know, I would say over the last three to five months. This is by John Tierney and Roy Bowmeister. And I'm taking this from page 172 in their book. And they start by saying, first impressions really do matter. And they're definitely governed by the negativity bias. Some of the clearest evidence comes from tracking reactions of people administrating job interviews. When the candidate makes a good first impression, the interviewer will be swayed only slightly, and that mildly favorable impression can quickly be reversed. But if a candidate comes off badly in the first moments, he'll have to spend the rest of the interview trying to make up for it, and he'll be lucky to get back to neutral. If the job interview ends on a sour note, the candidate had better keep looking elsewhere because a bad last impression is even worse than a bad first impression. It's an example, as we were talking about this earlier, of what psychologists call the peak end rule, which was demonstrated by having people immerse their hands in ice water. First, 
they dunked their hands for 60 seconds. Then after a break, they dunked their hands again. But this time they kept them there for 90 seconds with the water getting slightly warmer during the final 30 seconds. Later, they were told that they had to undergo one more dunking and asked which version they prefer. And believe it or not here, most people preferred the second version. Although it lasted longer and involved more overall pain, afterward, it seemed less painful because it had ended with slightly warmer water. The effect was confirmed in studies of patients' reactions to a colonoscopy or the removal of kidney stones. The duration of the procedure and the total amount of pain mattered less than the combination of the two other factors, the peak level of pain and the level of pain at the very end. And that's exactly what we were talking about earlier, the peak end rule. So it's literally like this. It's the peak level of pain, so the peak part of your conversation, and the level of pain at the end. So you can imagine that people actually would prefer, in this particular case, to dunk their hands in a longer period of time of painful ice-cold water only because the last few seconds were slightly warmer than what they were originally, which is, is incredible to me because, you know, you could be doing extremely great work, right? But there is that one moment, that right, that one moment where everything becomes, you know, totally in question. And this is why, you know, some people say, you know, it takes years to build up your brand. It takes years to get the confidence and the effort to go after something, but it only takes one or two small things either at their peak or towards the end to really change it all. And so no wonder it is that we notice things, you know, in the news, especially when articles that are written, when someone does just one thing that's off the cuff, that is not in line with societal expectations, they get punished for it and they get punished for it badly. Or if you may recall, there are plenty of people that have done amazing work their entire lives. And yet something happens towards the end where they screw up, make a small mistake, a blunder, a slip of the tongue, and then what? Then it all doesn't matter at all, which is sad, of course. And yet it's a reality. And so we're not here to fight, you know, what is reality. We're here to mitigate reality. We're here to adjust and bend reality so that it is in our favor. And most especially here when it comes to our job interviews. Um, and I'm going to continue here because I feel like there's um, plenty in here to sort of back this up. And this is a great way, we'll get into this in just a moment, of five really practical ways that you can ensure that the peak end rule works for you. And this is going to be based on my one-on-one -on -one clients, case studies over the years. I know they're going to be of great benefit to you. So please, please, please stay tuned for that. But let me, let me continue here because I think this is really quite interesting. A less painful demonstration of the peak end rule occurred one Halloween when researchers from Dartmouth staked out a home and carefully doled out candy to trick-or-treaters, okay? Some of the children got a single treat, a Hershey bar, while others received first the Hershey bar and then a piece of bubblegum. <laughs> when asked to rate the candy at that home, the children who got both treats were less satisfied than the ones given 
only the Hershey bar. That measly piece of gum at the end soured the experience. It may sound childish to be less happy with more candy, but adults react no differently to the gifts they received in another experiment. The ones who got DVDs, I mean, who gets DVDs nowadays? But anyways, the ones who got DVDs of a good movie and a mediocre movie were less satisfied than the ones who just got the good movie. The moral for gift givers, save the best stuff for last. And here, the peak end rule is relevant to both bad and good experiences, but not equally, of course. Suppose your supervisor is about to divvy up a year-end bonus pool and you're being compared with a fellow salesperson. She was consistent week to week in generating money for the firm, whereas you had more ups and downs. But over the course of the year, you both averaged the same amount of revenue. So she was consistent. You had more ups and downs, okay? But you both averaged the same amount of revenue. So how will your supervisor reward each of you Variations of this scenario were tested by researchers in South Korea who expected, in accordance with the peak end rule, that the supervisor would pay more attention to the extreme weekly highs and lows than to the annual average. So they'd pay attention to where the, the, the weekly highs and lows versus the actual average. It turned out that the researchers here were half right. If your most extreme week was a bad one, your supervisor would indeed rate you lower than your colleague, even though you'd gradually made up for it over the course of the year. So imagine that. But if your most extreme week was a good one, you'd end up with the same bonus as your colleague. In conclusion here, instead of being swayed by the spectacular figure that week, your supervisor would see that it was counterbalanced by the many weeks in which your colleague did slightly better. And this is, you know, just the reality of our careers. This is the reality of our professions and how it is that we perform. You know, when we are doing things consistently, right, we are more than likely to be rewarded for it. And that's why so much of how it is that we position ourselves is based on consistency. In fact, it's the last C of those four C's in exploration in the program. It is consistency. Having that level of consistency is key and how we're going to be positioning ourselves over the course of time, you know, both on paper, on our resume and our LinkedIn profile and how it is we appear in both informal and formal conversations is critical, right? I mean, because that level of consistency is going to be key in how it is that we move along the process towards the actual interview. And then in the end, towards signing on that dotted line, obviously. So here it's incredibly important for you to understand that the reality is as such where you could be doing something absolutely amazing over the course of a short period of time. And yet if that short period of time is not at its peak or it's not towards the tail end of your experience, then you are having a less than optimal let's just call it impression that you'll be making on the other person. It's no wonder that I ask so many of my clients and I'm asking so many of you 
to use recent examples, right? It's no wonder how many times I ask you to do things that are aligned with what it is you want to be doing tomorrow so that when we do get that call from an interviewer or a hiring manager in the future, we can then confidently say that today we are actually performing the activities we want to be doing for tomorrow. It's no wonder again, you know, that I ask so many of you to come up with the ultimate perception you want of yourself. And that is because what we need to be doing today, right, needs to be aligning with what we want to be doing tomorrow. Even if our work today doesn't allow for much time for us to do so, we must then carve out some time, some strategy to do activities that are aligned to us just so we could feel that we're making progress because so many of us today fall into the following fallacy. And that is how I feel today, or for some, how productive I am today directly relates to the value that I give to myself. How productive I am today, right, is directly aligned to how it is I feel about myself. And that, is, that couldn't be further from the truth. What it is that you do today does not represent you unless you want it to. The narrative in which you give for yourself. And that is something for you and you alone to understand the power that you have behind that. So it's critically important on a multitude of levels to understand that what you're doing today is in fact the most impactful. And that is why so many of your interviewers will ask you, what have you been doing recently? What is something you, you are recently most proud of? What is a recent discussion you've had with your manager? What is a recent sort of barrier you may have overcome. And recent is more powerful because recent here falls under the peak end rule. Most of us think of just this last and final impression of an individual before we make um, an actual judgment of that person. Unless, unless of course, that first, first initial impression, meaning the first part of your first impression is strong enough to where it can be consistent throughout or weak enough to where you are going to be having to push yourself as far as you can throughout the conversation to get yourself out of that. And this is just the reality of the world that we live in. Um, you know, human beings, whether we like each other or not, you know, this is how we judge things. This is how we look at things. Um, and this is how we make our decisions. And so it's very, very important that you understand that, you know, if we're starting out with an interview here, so if you're, you're actually in an interview, and you're starting out really, really well. Well, you've got to be consistent throughout, right? I mean, you, you've got to be consistent throughout. If you're not consistent throughout, and at the end, you are absolutely depleted, and your energy, your state of mind has actually gone through a downward spiral simply because you're just worn, worn out or burned out, well, guess what? You know, it's that last and final impression people are going to take of you. So when you are having these panel interviews, for example, right, and you go through the first and you're doing so well and you're going through the second and you're doing so well, but towards the end, which I get all the time, you know, several times with my clients is that, you know, Rami, I was just exhausted at the end. I don't even remember what I was actually saying. That to me uh, gets me a little worried because, you know, we need to be very, very deliberate and how it is that we are targeting each and every single individual that we encounter in the interview process, or even in the informal in the informal conversations we're having, right? If we are not concluding at a high and positive note, we are less likely to make 
a strong first impression. And so imagine this, what I am suggesting for you to consider is the following. If you are going to have a conversation with somebody, I know you're going to start out strong. You're going to be in a peak energy state. You're going to be in peak positivity unless, you know, because there's no signs here. You haven't been given a signal to act otherwise. And so you're going to be acting in a very, very peak state. But having said that, you need to be consistent throughout. And so how do you navigate that? How do, how do you then take a look at the peak end rule and make it work for you? And there's um, some really, really interesting things that I'd like to share with you in a moment. But first, I want you to think about this. Think about how it is that the peak end rule has or has not worked for you. Because I can guarantee you that at some point in time, if you recollect correctly and accurately, you'll say, yeah, I could see how that may have happened. I could see how that may have happened. And by the way, I'll share a personal story with you. And this is exactly what I thought of the first time I was introduced to the peak end rule was the following. I remember my first like true corporate interview, you know, it was here in San Francisco. It was on Spears Street and I was interviewing for Accenture, uh, a global consulting company still around right now. And I remember it was my final interview and here I was with a briefcase and uh, I literally had one of those black hard cut, hard shell briefcases. And, um, and I, inside of that, I had, you know, my, my resumes printed out. I actually had this portfolio of myself, all these things that I printed out, my grades, my awards, my employee of the month, you know, from back of my days, at Copio say I had everything there. I mean, this was totally old school suit and tie. I think it was the same suit that I wore for my graduation, you know, just poor college student just graduated trying to try to get himself into a career. It was my first, you know, true real corporate job outside of college. But in any event, I think it was the 42nd or 44th floor. Of course, Accenture is not there anymore. But I went up and I sat down. And um, as I was sitting down, I noticed that there were all these beautiful awards. It was this uh, JD Power and Associates Award, you know, Accenture for this award. It's a top consulting company. So no surprise there. I mean, sitting down here with a bunch of other people for their final interviews. And here I was waiting for my name to be called. And when it was, I got up my peak state, you know, Rami's really never changed with his energy, got up. And as soon as I started walking towards who I think was a, just a recruiting coordinator, I ended up inadvertently knocking down uh, one of those JD Power and Associate glass awards. And that whole thing popped, just popped all over the table. And there was glass shattered literally everywhere. It was a traumatic experience for me. I mean, I could not have imagined that my final interview with Accenture would start off just like that. And I, and I swear, I thought to myself, there is no way in hell I'm going to be given this opportunity with a clumsy guy like that. I mean, why would anyone want me? And, you know, for whatever reason, the forces of the universe, I got really lucky, of course, uh, for those of you that know me quite well, of course, I started my career with Accenture and an amazing few years that I spent very, very early on in my career with them. But that to me was the example of what a peak end rule could have happened where, you know, you, if that happened to you, you'd have to really, really dig yourself out of that one. But not many people could top that one. I'm sure you've got your own stories. I'd love to hear them, by the way, where something like that could actually happen to you. 
But again, here, it doesn't have to be as extreme as it happened to yours truly. But for yourself, you know, asking yourself, you know, what happened in a conversation where towards the tail end, there was a slip up, there was a screw up, there was a slip of the tongue or something when you're like, oh my God, I totally, totally bombed this. Uh, you know, that is the last and final sort of impression people are going to get of me. If I really screwed this one up, you know, I can't get myself out of it. Or perhaps, you know, early on, you know, you had something where, you know, you may have said something, you may have, you know, said a random joke that could have been coarse or sounded like there was like some double standard here and you were looked at, you know, a little strange, like, really? I mean, did you really mean that? Or what, what do you mean by that? And all of a sudden it's top of mind. I'm sure you've got plenty of those stories, of course, but the peak end rule is so real, right? I mean, because again here, remember this, right? It is the peak level of pain, right? Typically, we mentioned the example of the, of, of the people putting their hands on ice water or the level of pain at the very end. So it's, it's, it's that peak, good or bad, could be the peak, good or bad here, but it also could be the peak at the very, very end. So you could be, you know, going through like, you know, a marathon and all of a sudden you're at the tail end and you just got a sprint. It's the sprint that matters the most, right? It's that tail end of things. And so that's a great way for you to remember things. That's a great way that I ask my clients to remember things uh, when it comes to the peak end rule. So what are these things that we need to remember as it relates to the peak end rule? And how can you have the peak end rule work in your favor? So number one here, you must be aware in order to be deliberate. So that's rule number one. You must be aware in order for you to be deliberate. And so what I really mean here is you need to know exactly what it is you're going after. So this is like your strategy here. And here, one of the reasons why I ask so many of my clients, so many of you to really look very deeply at someone's LinkedIn profile, because you need to be aware of who it is you're going to be speaking with as accurately as you can. Even if you don't have enough information, even if you have just someone's picture, you just, just so you can be able to relate right to whom it is you're going to be speaking with and what it is in particular that they may value or their career path over time, just so you can relate to them. That is one part of a strategy. The other strategy is the role that you're actually applying for reverse engineering that role. Or another part of your strategy could be the themes in which you've generated, right? And how it is that they actually relate to that role. But in essence here, rule number one, you must be aware in order to be deliberate. You've got to be aware of what it is you're going to be saying, how it is you're going to be saying it, the language you're going to be using, your tone, your verbiage, your physiology, right? Even, yes, over Zoom even over teams, even over blue jeans, even over, you know, webinars, whatever it is, right? You've got to be aware in order to be deliberate. So know what it is you're going after. Keep your eye on the prize. Don't deviate from that unless you absolutely have to. And so you've got to be aware in order to be deliberate. Rule number two here, you've got to be prepared. And what I mean by that is not just knowing the company the industry, the products, the service, the people, the culture, the mission, the vision, not just that level of preparation, not sort of that just granular level of preparation, but agility here, adaptability here. Remember, I've talked about this for years now. It's not just IQ, right? It's not just EQ. It is AQ, 
right? Your adaptability, your agility, your, your ability to be agile, right? And that me really just means practically is that you anticipate what sort of questions you may be asked, right? You anticipate what sort of questions you may be asked. You may anticipate what one particular person may be asking you, right? What one particular part of the interview may be like, right? This level of preparation. But that level of preparation also requires you to be agile and adaptable. And this also means, by the way, if you are in a particular state of, state of mind and someone comes and asks you a question that deliberately deviates you from that state of mind, you've got to be prepared to go there and then bring it back. So for example, if someone asks you, you know, what's the most difficult decision you've made in the last few years? Well, a difficult decision by definition is difficult and something difficult typically means it's something painful. And if it's painful, then it's typically something, what is it actually it's probably less, less than positive, of course, right? So if that's the case, right, you've got to go to a place where you had a difficult decision you need to you you, you had made before. You know, there's a lot of sort of complexities that perhaps have gone around that decision, a lot of inputs, data points, things that you may have not otherwise have done had you not been in that situation, things perhaps you may have learned from along the way, right? And so you get into that state where there is something that is, less than ideal that puts you in that state where it was a very difficult thing, but then you switch it over and you become positive again. You've learned something from it. You skew it to have learned something from it. And what you've done there is you've brought yourself back to that initial consistent state that is required throughout the interview. You see how I did that? It's like that pendulum, right? We've gone through one side and yet we actually had a realization that we actually did learn something. Something positive came from this, right? And we've brought it back to the intended state that we started out to begin with. And that's really, really important that you actually do that. That is one example of this rule about preparation, right? Agility, adaptability, right? Bringing things back to work and skew into your favor. Third here, you must be a good listener. You've got to listen to both the implicit and the explicit. And in coaching here, I've said this a few times prior, you know, there's three different levels of listening, right? There's the first level where you're just hearing the words, you know, you're really just having to repeat those words to go through that motion and process of understanding and synthesizing what it is that they mean, because you may be just so self-consumed with what it is that's going on. You're basically not paying attention. You're just hearing things. You're hearing things, right? Second, you are actually hearing things, you're processing things, but that level of depth of listening may not just be there. It needs time to actually register. So you're actually listening, but you're really thinking about how perhaps you may be responding to something prior to actually synthesizing and listening to it altogether, right? And then third, you are in this, you know, deep sort of listening state where, you know, you just feel what it is that is being said, you synthesize that, not just based on the words, but the feelings and emotions behind it. This goes back to, it's not what we say, but how we make people feel, right? That sort of listening is the level of depth that is going to be required for you to nail, not just an interview, but nail a first impression and nail, you know, so many things. It could be your performance review. It could be a particular hiring process. It could be a pitch, a presentation, et cetera but that level of listening. And so that level of listening, you know, alongside 
the first other two rules, what the preparation, right, and awareness, right, makes us in many ways understand, you know, what's in it for the other person? Why is it they're actually saying this to me? When they're asking me this question, what is it they really, really mean, right? It's like, it's like when I hear the words, you know, tell me about yourself. What does tell me about yourself mean? Tell me about yourself really just means that, you know, yes, tell me about yourself, but I'm actually thinking, you know, could I have a beer with this person? You know, does this person's stomach growl, you know, sitting next to me? How does this person really manage pushback, feedback, criticism, or critique, right? It's those kinds of things. Am I, is this person relatable? You know, can I spend my time with this person? These are sorts of things that people listen to implicitly after asking you an explicit question, right? So think about that because that's that's very, very important, being a very good listener. So few of us, I mean, there's so many things that compete with our awareness, right? I've said this uh, before, you know, there's an abundance of information out there and yet there is a famine, a famine of attention span. There's a deficit in the attention that most people have and it is so important to understand that deficit, right? Having said that as well, rule number four, you must be consistent. Maintain your state, right? Maintain your story. Maintain your strategy. You must be consistent. If you are not consistent, it is going to be extremely difficult for you to show anybody in an interview process that you are actually right for the role. You've got to be consistent. So the way you appeared in your initial conversation with a sourcer or a recruiter and that sort of feedback they've given to the hiring manager or to the panel, that needs to be consistent. So if you're going to put up a video of yourself, there's going to be, if there's public information of you somewhere, you've got to show up in the way people expect you to show up. Otherwise, don't put things out there right, that allude to a misaligned, right, form of yourself. And, you know, by doing so, I mean, you're only, of course, hurting yourself. You're obviously not being genuine and authentic, right? Even if sometimes we are preparing to profile people that we are going to be interviewing with, and we, we like to relate ourselves with their background, we do a lot of this mirroring, right? We've got to be genuine and authentic, because if we're not, Right? At some point in time, we're going to be called out, figured out, right? And that's not something we actually want. We'd rather be consistent and genuine and authentic throughout. So you've got to be consistent here. And actually bringing up consistent examples as it relates to your interview, right, is going to be very, very key in how it is that you are judged. And remember, I've said this before, you know, when it is we are interviewing, a lot of people tend to feel that the more great positive things that we have, the better we're going to appear in an interview, the more likely we're going to actually get the job. When in fact, it's the opposite. The smaller, core, fundamental, foundational elements of how it is that you are perceived, those are much more impactful than a plethora of things that don't necessarily stick. And what I mean by that is this. If you come across that you have the skill set and expertise, that you are reliable, right, and you are collaborative, is much more powerful than coming off with someone who has a skill set and expertise, reliable, dependable, a great communicator, well experienced, has a great education, 
and the list goes on to about 10 things, it's better that you have more overlap of a core group of things than so many things where people can actually get lost. It's that small, stronger sort of feeling that someone gets that is much more impactful and how it is that you are perceived, okay? And that is extremely important for you to remember. So contrary to what most people feel like, right, it's actually that that it gets them closer and gives them a such stronger um, first impression. Nevertheless, rule number four, you must be consistent. You must maintain your state. You must maintain your story. You must maintain your strategy in these conversations. And the last rule here is, and this is, by the way, five of several that I have, but these are five core ones that I want to share with you today. Number five is don't just wait, right, for the signs. Create them. Don't just wait for the signs. Create them. What I mean by that is this. If I am speaking to someone and I am not 100% sure how it is that they are reacting to my conversation, to examples that I've given, to my pitch, rather than wait for someone to smile, to nod, right, to show me that they are actually listening or what it is that I'm saying is resonating or whether or not I'm giving them what it is that, that they actually want to hear, I then must be proactive in what it is that I ask in order for me, right, to come back and say, you know what? I know I did well in this interview because I was explicitly told that this was a great example. I was explicitly told that they would love to see me again. I was explicitly told that when I was going to start, this is what I should expect, right? Or I was explicitly told, having asked the question, is there anything that I've actually said today that dissuades you from me being the top candidate for the position, which I know so many of you actually have trouble asking. Of course, it's, it depends on the situation, but of course, I am very, very much pro you asking a question like that, right? We must ask something in order to receive. And so please do not, especially those of you that are a part of cultures where this is not so much promoted, be mindful of the fact that you can, in fact, ask, how was my performance? How was this example that I provided you? Am I heading in the right direction or would you like me to change course? Did I give you a specific enough example or would you like me to provide you another? Was I clear in how I described the situation you asked me to, right? And so don't just wait for the signs, right? For someone to nod, take notes, smile, right? Um, look up to the sky and say, oh my gosh, did you appear from the heavens above? <laughs> but, you know, don't just wait for the signs. Create them. Create them. And so sometimes it has a lot to do with just smiling, right? Taking a moment to just smile so we can get the other person into that state that we would like them to be in to begin with. And I do that sometimes, right? When I'm having my first conversations with individuals that I've never spoken to before, you know, if I'm asked a question prior to even starting a conversation, I'll just take a couple of seconds, I'll smile, and I'll see if the other person is receptive to that. And if they are, I could say, oh, okay, maybe there's an opening here for me to capitalize on that positivity. And if there isn't, 
then, you know, I may have to change course and not focus so much on an emotional-based conversation, but a more critical mass-based conversation, one based on data, uh, facts, experience, et cetera. And so you have to ask yourself that question as well, of course, because it depends on the individuals that we're actually speaking with. But nevertheless, don't just wait for the signs. Create them. And that is so important in how it is that we conduct ourselves on a day-to-day basis, right? We just can't afford to wait for someone to come to us and say, where were you my entire life? Where have you been all my life? life? Was that Rihanna? I think so. You know, we can't just wait for that, right? We've got to actually create it for ourselves. So don't wait, create. Don't wait, create. Don't wait, create. And I know so many of us in operator mode, we are critiquers, man. And we are critiquers of ourselves to the T. But those that create, right, they don't wait. And you have the power to create. That being said, please, please, please remember the peak end rule and see how it actually applies to you and use it to your benefit. And I swear, if you're actually aware of it, right, in your conversations, you can be so deliberate on where and how to inject the conversation that you want to bring to the table, the impression that you want to make, the impression that is your most articulate, personable, right, illustrative self, your best self. And that is exactly what I want from you. And I know that is exactly what it is that you want for yourself, genuinely and authentically as you pursue your next career transition. If you've gotten this far in my podcast, I'm hoping that means that you love my coaching content. If you'd like to continue the journey with me on a much deeper, personal, and immersive level, please visit my website at ramibalut.com and schedule a 45-minute Real Talk session with me. You can also enroll my online program at theworkingant.com and join me for five months of weekly live group coaching where you can ask me your questions live in a group coaching setting. Use code PODCAST for an incredible discount at checkout. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Your career fulfillment is so important to me. You deserve nothing less than that. I truly hope you take what we talked about today and use it deliberately, practically, and strategically to accelerate your next career transition, conversation, or simply just to nourish your personal and professional life. If you'd like to receive periodic content from me, please visit ramibalut.com and register for my mailing list by signing up to receive your free ebook, which by the way, is an awesome ebook, if I may say. Until next time, this is your host and coach, Rami Balut, signing off for today's podcast on The Working At. Remember, if not you, then who? If not now, then when?